The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. little guessing game to start today. If I mention, think of an iconic baseball stadium. Three Rivers doesn't even exist anymore. Not new Yankee Stadium. I'm a Yankees fan. Some of you have forgiven me. Some of you haven't. We can talk about that later. I can't stand new Yankee Stadium. I took my niece there once. I'm taking my other niece there this year. That's all go. It's a testament to greed and excess. Don't like it. When I think of this, Wrigley. Yes. Wrigley Field. I almost said Fenway Park, even as a Yankees fan. But there's something about Wrigley with that vista extending right into the rest of the city that's absolutely gorgeous. If I mention um, masterwork of art. Mona Lisa. I'm going to be in Paris in two weeks, actually. I'm going to get a chance to see the Mona Lisa. Hmm. If I mention the quintessential Philadelphia food. Soft. John, you are way off today. Three Rivers, pretzel. Like I don't even know you. And by the way, this is it done right. Pats, by the way, they chop their meat up. I have like one cheesesteak a year for a variety of different reasons. I'm down to one. They chop their meat up. It's dry. They put the cheese, the whiz on the top. It doesn't sink in. doesn't create any gravy. You got to put the cheese whiz down first and you got to slice the steak, not chop it. But that's not why we're here today. <laughs> if I mention representation of distressing, dysfunctional and destructive Model of masculinity and being a man. A little bit of a switch there. This is what I think of. The scene from Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Always be closing. An iconic scene, a scene that has an embarrassment of acting riches in it that is just almost unbelievable. And a scene that in terms of what it expresses about men and masculinity breaks the heart. This is the first time in a spirit flick series I've been doing for like nine summers here about meaning in the movies that I'm focusing just on an individual scene. Now in this scene, many of you know it, I imagine. It's easy to watch. It's on YouTube, about eight minutes. You get Alec Baldwin there who comes into this kind of bedraggled corner of the real estate universe trying to push the Glen Gary, Glen Ross uh, development project. And he gets in to kind of give them all, the sales agents, a kick in the butt. And he does so by questioning their manhood. By questioning whether they can play in the man's game. And if they can't play in the man's game, then they ought to go home and maybe play with their kids or cry to their wives. They're not real men. He spends most of the time belittling them, bullying them, telling them how much he makes versus how much they make. And they're not worth anything. How much his watch costs more than their cars, how much his car costs. Questions their sexual orientation. See in this scene that always be closing a always B B C closing. He doesn't tell them they're not good at being real estate agents. He tells them they are failing at their jobs because they are not real men. This breeds shame. You can see it 
on the faces of all the men who have nothing to say, because in this context, there's no comeback. It's always just get them to sign on the line that is dotted. You can see the seeds of what comes about later in the movie, which we're not really going to talk about, but it's that shame breeds harmful, destructive actions. It's like Bruce Springsteen, who is a model for me of mature adult masculinity, says in his sad, beautiful song, Atlantic City, down here there's just winners and losers and don't get caught on the wrong side of that line. That's the worldview of always be closing. That's the worldview of this movie. He tries to cut out their heart by cutting off their balls metaphorically. Now this scene didn't happen, but the suffering it causes is real. I've seen it over and over and over again in my life. I've seen it here in Wellsprings. The story I'm going to share with you is a very powerful one. And I share it with permission of the person who first shared it with me and, well, with us. It happened during our Listening to Our Lives foundational small group maybe about five, six years ago. And we were talking about at the start of that group the teachings of Parker Palmer, close Quaker cousin of ours spiritually, who talks about the fact that we are not born irreparably broken. We are not born irreparably damaged. We are born whole. And yet, for many of us, we lose a sense of that. We grow estranged from our own hearts and from the lives of other people. And we were talking about how how do we lose touch with that? And a woman in the group raised her hand. And as she began to talk, you could almost start to see the tears form in her eyes that had eventually started to roll down her cheeks. She told a story about being with her two-year-old son, just coming into his own form of identity. And her two-year-old son, for whatever reason, had really become enamored of this small pink change purse. It had become very dear to him. It had become important to him. Until they were at a family gathering once and another extended member of the family made a comment, a joke, not the most cruel thing in the world, but something that was deeply cutting to this boy, that he had transgressed some norm that little boys don't carry little pink purses. And this attachment to this once fond object became something that now he felt ashamed of. And his face turned into a scowl and with anger, he threw that pink purse across the room and his mom telling the story now openly crying in the midst of this listening to our lives group tried to give him the the little pink purse that he loved so much back, but he wouldn't take it because it became a source of shame to him, something that wasn't allowed for him to be okay with. I mean, by the end of this story, all of us in this room, our tears were flowing as we watched a little light of goodness, not snuffed out forever, not that, but told that somehow he wasn't allowed to share his light. And by the way, there's research on this. There's an amazing, I would encourage you to look it up, um, New York Times opinion piece from about three or four months ago. I posted on Facebook about giving men permission to feel their feelings you know, the idea we have in larger cultures, men don't feel as much as women, which is absolute nonsense. In fact, little boys feel more than young girls. Feel more distress, more pain, more love. 
And yet we socialize in all kinds of ways that vulnerability right out of them. So this harm is internal, of course. It is within men. But it's much more than that. The harm is external to men and all around us as well. I mean, I, like you, like many of us, you know, couldn't help but pay attention this past week to this horrific story from Stanford, this Stanford rape case of this man who felt it was somehow okay for him to force himself upon an unconscious woman in back of a dumpster and then convicted by a jury of his peers somehow got only a month's sentence. And the anger, the hurts, the heartbreak around this story, what it has brought up for so many of us, it is an incredibly powerful, difficult moment. And I've seen so many stories from my Facebook friends, women sharing their stories openly, of their own assaults, their own abuse. I'm part of a larger collegial network And one story after another, after another, after another from my female colleagues telling their experience what appears to be a near ubiquitous, near universal experience of being a woman in this culture. Of being targeted for their gender, for violence, assault, harassment, abuse. These stories are so ubiquitous. And especially for those of us who identify as men. We cannot turn away. It's just in the same way that, you know, white supremacy causes problems for suffering for people of color, but is primarily a problem of white people. Misogyny, sexual violence. This, of course, is a problem for women and people who identify as women, but it is a problem of masculinity and of manhood. Like in this scene in Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, we see, we see the seeds of all that right there. When we construct masculinity out of domination, out of conquest, out of dividing the world into winners and losers, we get violence because it is violence. We get it in our homes. We get it on our streets. We get it in our schools. We get it in our law. We get it in our economics. We get it in our politics, in word, and indeed we get violence all around us. I mean, we don't know the full story yet, but we do know that just at 3 o'clock this morning, a gay-identified club in Orlando, Florida, was shot up killing 20 people and injuring 40 more. I do not believe that that choice of object was random. This dividing the world up into winners and losers, dividing ourselves by domination, winners and losers, it targets so often women, people of different gender expression, sexual orientation. And yes, of course, men suffer this as well, too. This is why I agree about as much as I agree with anything with this guy. His name is Joe Ehrman. He played for the Baltimore Colts. He was a tough guy. An NFL player who was taught from the very first moment he stepped on that field that his job was to dominate Enforce his will. Be, and I hate when they use the word to describe sports players, a warrior. Whatever nonsense that is. 
And he was good at it. He was good at violence. He was good at aggression. And then he recognized when his younger brother, who he loved, was dying, that there are absolute limits to what we can dominate and impose our will upon in this life. He was ill-equipped to feel vulnerability, to express love, ill-equipped to face what was bigger than him because he could not overcome it by sheer force of his violence. And so Joe Ehrman says, and I absolutely agree with him, that the three most destructive words we can say to a young boy are be a man. Because so often that is shorthand for don't feel your feelings, externalize your rage, your anger, your distress onto other people around you, be a man, suck it up, don't be human. Not fully human. That's why another of my favorite teachers, Richard Rohr, the progressive Franciscan, he says that all people, and he's done a lot of work with men, especially a lot of men who are convicts, a lot of men in recovery. He says that, I found this true to be real in my own life, we either have to learn to transform our pain or we end up transmitting it. This expression of masculinity, of being a man, domination, belittling, winner versus losers, it makes losers of us all. And it is absolutely, completely hostile to our traditions of this spiritual community. Our universalism, which says above all else that there is a love so special, we do not need to be special to be loved. This is our gospel. This is our teaching. It counts. It matters. And any view of the world, especially grounded in gender that divides us against one another and would say there are those absolutely with power and the job of those in power is to impose their will on those without, that is an absolute incompatible violation with our universalist teaching. The truth is I never felt comfortable or at ease with this view of masculinity. I didn't want to be part of it. But the truth was, I'm a man, so I am a part of it, or I identify as a man. I felt the opposition to this in my bones from a young age. But I did not have the strength of heart to really speak up, to really push back. This view of masculinity warped my relationship with my own heart and my relationship with other people. It's why 10 years and three quarters of a year later, the easy part of my recovery is not drinking. The ongoing part, the tough part, the part that will require work the whole rest of my life is the part that is recapturing my own heart with integrity. Recognizing to be human, to be vulnerable, to be loving, means we do not get to skip over this tough stuff. And it is tough for those of us who are men to not externalize this brokenness out onto the world around us. I mean, i got a ways to go with this. A long ways. The old stories die hard for me 
about who men and who I am supposed to be as a man. I saw it just last month, like really, really, really clearly. A friend of mine apologized to me, and it was an apology that I authentically relished and loved and was grateful for. This friend had been uh, painful towards me. I hurt. And so I received their um, apology with, with gratitude and just a feeling of open heart and connection. And then I could see it almost like a half second later, this inner aversion. If they are apologizing to me, that means that they know I can be hurt. That means that maybe they think I can't handle it. And if I were man enough, maybe they wouldn't have to apologize to me at all. And by the way, this all happened in the space of like 10, 15 seconds. This is part of the gift of my contemplative practice is seeing how the reactions pile up on each other, not having to act from that place. Chogyam Trungpa, who's a wonderful Tibetan teacher, talks about this capacity. He says, you know, the point of meditation practice is to actually rediscover our hidden neurosis and our hidden sanity at the same time. (laughs) That's what that moment was, hidden neurosis and hidden sanity, because I could see it, but I didn't believe it. But it was there. It was absolutely there. I did not want to be seen as someone who could be hurt. I still don't like that. I recognize this is a human thing, and for me this is particularly a man thing. This is part of who I am right now standing before you today, in this pulpit, in your pulpit, in our pulpit. A little more than two weeks from now, I will no longer be the lead minister of Wellsprings. I will no longer be the CEO of Wellsprings. And that's good in all kinds of ways. It's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for us. I'm so excited about starting co-ministry with Reverend Lee. And truth be told, she's been kind of doing co-ministry with me for a while now. So, you know, thank her for all she's been doing as well, please. I asked for this, and this is good, and it will give me an opportunity to develop parts of my ministry. Many of us have been around this past year know this story as, as well. You know, you know this part. And. But. This has been one of the most painful years of my life. This letting go of this identity as CEO, as lead minister, even as much as I want it. Again, I can see it without believing it, but I feel it. I think part of the job just to be matureful human beings is to feel what we feel and to not have to make immediate sense out of it. I have to tell you this letting go, even if I asked for it, and I did. <laughs> this letting go of being CEO, this letting go of being lead minister... There is such deep resistance. Uh, my dad, maybe this is where it comes from, maybe it's just a story about where it comes from. My dad was a really super successful executive. I like being one, too, or thinking that I was at least. So I'm taking a risk with you right now. I'm taking a risk with you because there's a general rule in preaching that you preach from your scars and you don't preach from your wounds. I'm preaching from a wound right now. So I'm going to ask you in a certain way if you would respond. 
please don't give me affirmation and please don't give me confirmation and please don't tell me how great the last 10 years have been at Wellsprings or tell me that all things considering under the circumstances, blah, 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 I did a good job and yes, time to move on, it's good for all, please don't tell me that. I, I know what I've done here. I see this middle of June. I see the number of people showing up and the vitality in this community. And I I know that I've been a big part of that. I'm not looking for affirmation. I'm not looking for confirmation. I know what I did well and I know what I didn't do well. There's something I am asking you for if it is genuine for you. If you're a man especially, but regardless of your gender expression. If you have ever struggled with the feelings that you couldn't hack it, that you were not blank enough, that you felt because you couldn't do what you thought you were supposed to do, you were a loser or you felt with a failure. And by the way, I don't think I'm a loser or a failure and I don't think it about you, but I'm saying those feelings arise. If those feelings are real for you, then that would be bomb for my soul. And let's talk about that, because that's about more than just me and you. That's a part of exactly what Richard Rohr talks about. That is transforming our pain so we don't end up transmitting it and participating in these systems of domination and violence, emotional, physical, or otherwise. These teachings, these bad teachings, these harmful teachings on gender, I don't think there's anything essential about them. They can be changed. They're a habit, a cultural habit, even if they're really ingrained. And especially in our tradition, this is important to remember. This is why we say our core belief, one of our core beliefs is the burning bush is blazing everywhere. That means the universe is not done with us. We are capable of evolution. We are not stuck in past ways, past methods, past teachings, past old stories that don't serve us anymore. This is the core teaching that is the essential teaching of our tradition. The burning bush is blazing everywhere. We can evolve. We are not done growing. There is no reason for us to stay stuck in the old stories that don't serve us any longer. So I've got to tell you, I'm not at all interested in what it means to be a man. I'm invested for all of us in how we can develop, myself included, into fully developed and compassionate human beings. And then I'm really curious and excited about all the ways that compassionate, mature, developing human beings, it can look like across the spectrum of gender. The truth is there never is, never has been, never will be an ideal fit of what a man or a woman must look like. I think there is only in human experience the fragmentary and the integrated. There is only the broken and the whole. And in this pilgrimage to greater healing, critique is not enough even if we want to change and grow more healthy. No one, and especially in my experience, not men, grows by negation. There has to be a positive vision. There has to be an aspiration that we come alive and we let go of some of these old stories that don't serve us anymore. And so I want to share with you right now to kind of close out this message for a video that touched my own heart greatly, and especially knowing that it is the story of a gay man 
touches me especially this morning after Orlando. It's the story of a man who grew up in a deeply patriarchal culture of violence, of domination, of religion in the name of these things, and found another way to be human. Dad found a love letter from a guy in my box of things, and he read this letter and lost it. He took me for a ride and dropped me off in the middle of the night with a $5 bill. That's sort of all I remember, sleeping outside in the country that night. And I really missed my brothers and sisters when I left home. I remember hearing that if you guys talked to me, if I'd call the house, that you'd get a beating because dad didn't want you to catch gay. And you guys believe that. Granted, it was a fear-based belief. Of course, but, you know, it was still something I had to try to fix. And so as each of you guys moved out or got kicked out of the house. Or ran away. Or ran away in your case. I would make an effort to try to contact you guys and be a big brother again. At first, you were really resistant. You didn't know anything about gay people, and it took a long time for our relationship to build. But after you started to accept it, every time you met another gay person, he would say, oh, you've got to meet my brother and hook me up with every guy that you thought was gay. You know, it was, I always thought that was really sweet. And that's when we started coming back together, you know, as brothers and sisters, Brian, Pam, Chris, Mike, Jude, Amy, Josh, and Luke Henry. Now, Luke Henry, I didn't even know because he wasn't born till I was like 19 or 20, and I hadn't seen him in ever. And I got a call, and the voice on the other end said, uh, Brian, this is your little brother, Luke. By this time, you know, he was estranged from mom and dad, and he wanted to go to University of Dallas. So I took my savings, and I bought one one-way ticket and one round-trip ticket to Dallas. Now, mind you, this is a Catholic school, and I'm the big gay brother. I'm running around getting him set up for his dorm room, and we go through this whole weekend, and at the end, I gave Luke a hug and a kiss and told him how much I loved him, and he started walking away. I was just watching after him like, wow, I really finally got to be a big brother. And at that moment, he turned around and mouthed, I love you. It was the most beautiful moment I had ever experienced. And I called you from the hotel, sobbing. Do you remember this? Yeah. You brought eight siblings that were so far apart to be as close as we all became. I just want you to know how much you mean to me, that you've loved me like this. And for that, I will be forever grateful. You're a good man. Well, thank you, Mike. This, my friends, is strength in the form of a man. Not domination. This is real strength. This is what it takes to get through this tough world, to be a survivor. This is toughness. This is heart. And this is power worth trusting. That is authority worthy of respect. This is love that heals and connects. Just one mature human being in the shape of a man, in a way of living that heals. This is who we can be. This is who we are called to be. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Divine hearts big enough, large enough to contain the whole world. Large enough that we are able to accept that within our hearts, 
exist stories that do not serve us any longer, neither individually or together, stories that break us, stories that transmit our suffering, stories that wound. May we count ourselves by tending to our own wounds and the wounds of those around us. May we count ourselves as those who bind up those wounds, who in the form of man or woman or whatever gender expression is most authentic to us, become those the world needs, which is healers above all else, those who transform pain into the light and the love of grace and belonging for all of us. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.